Welcome again to Devotional. This is lesson number seven for Friday, November 30th. So, this week is going uh, deep into our hearts, and the lesson finishes with something that is very pertinent for our church. Something that I think if we were to understand and grasp, it was number your number one give us a lot of peace of mind, um, especially when things are not as okay as they should be in our church, when there's uh, tension, when there's disagreements. Um, the lesson, actually Friday, could have been a whole week's worth of study in, in and of itself. It's quite jam-packed. I hope you will spend time on Friday's lesson out of all the lessons, out of all the days, right? Usually Fridays are like the brief, abbreviated, last little blurb. But uh, Dr. Fortin packs quite a, a bit on Friday's lesson, and I'm just gonna highlight and extract some things from it. He presents three components, three elements that God has used to maintain unity in uh, in His church, especially when there are difference differences among believers. And the three elements God has used are revelation, scripture, and consensus. And of course, I'm not going to go into all the details that Dr. Porton goes to, uh, through in the lesson. All I'm simply going to say is that um, revelation the way that I read it from the lesson, is when God would have present prophets, present-day prophets. Um, and, of course, they would speak uh, as with messages directly from God as prophets from the Lord. Then you have Scripture. God would use present-day prophets, and then God would also use Scriptures, which, of course, are the written-down prophets we call the Bible. And through Scripture, um, unity was maintained when there were differences, the, the brothers, the, the sisters, the leaders would come together and study the scriptures together. And then the third way in which God sought to maintain unity was through consensus. And consensus, you know, it's a bit tricky. Um, the way the lesson puts it is the spirit work from within the community almost imperceptibly, creating a consensus through dialogue and study at the end of which the church realized that the Spirit was working within it. Uh, the Holy Spirit worked through consensus in this decision-making process. And how do you feel about that? How do you feel about present-day prophets, God using a present-day prophet to maintain and sustain unity, especially when there are differences among us? Scripture. How do you feel about God using Scripture? And consensus, I tell you, it sounds nice, and I thought, you know, it's a simple, but uh, number one, I thought about examples from the scriptures. And in the Bible itself, God's people, seems to see, they seem to have always struggled with all three of these. Um, I'm thinking about Revelation, right? A present-day prophet, God using a present-day prophet in an attempt to keep unity uh, in, in God's people. And I think of Moses. You know, he was a present-day prophet that God used, and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. They, they, there was a large portion that was continually rebelling and seeking to convince the people to go back to Egypt. You could also think of Jeremiah, John the Baptist, etc. I'm sure you can come up with a, a long list yourself. Apparently, uh, a present-day prophet works, but God's people are not always ready to listen and take advantage of the benefit, the blessing of having a present-day prophet to build, to, uh, build uh, community, to sustain unity within that community. And scripture. 
you know, many people say, well, everybody appeals to the Bible and everybody seems to have a, or claims to have a biblical position. Uh, and yet, how, how can they be so different? Well, just because people have come to different conclusions does not invalidate the authority and validity of Scripture. All he speaks of is the fact that we have a difficult time grasping it or understanding it. And it's, it's the same parallel that you have with the disciples with Jesus. Jesus would say things to them so plainly, and we are flabbergasted at their inability to get the plain words of Jesus. I will be handed over to the leaders, and I, I will be crucified, and I will rise on the third day. And the, the disciples don't know what to do with that information. And we are left with our heads scratching. How could they have not understood that? Well, maybe the angels, we leave the angels with their heads scratching as we read the scriptures and do something different. Or we read the scriptures and not fully grasp what we're being told, even though it's stated plainly. It takes time. And that's something that I think is um, a key factor in uh, accepting these methods. They're not instant fixes. It takes time to build uh, consensus to have dialogue to maintain unity or to grow back into a unified state it, it won't happen overnight people take um, different times to grasp different things and we need to be patient and we need to be humble and we need to be honest with ourselves am I dragging my feet simply because the direction that the church is moving it goes contrary will I vote simply out of spite we are human and we can do things like that. The last one is the consensus. And that's the one I think we may struggle with the most, maybe. Especially when I read the, the definition from the lesson. And the, the statement is, almost imperceptibly, the spirit works from within, within the church, almost imperceptibly. Sometimes we think it's only humans leading the church. And we overlook the fact that it is Jesus really who's in control. And we see that in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, when the Apostle John sees Jesus with seven stars in his hand and walking amidst the, the seven candlesticks, he is taking care of the churches. And he is sending messengers to the churches, present-day prophets, written-down prophets, which are the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit, which accompanies the church and though at times we may not perceive, we may deem it imperceptible, the Holy Spirit is working through every church meeting, through every finance committee meeting, through every school board meeting, through every nominating committee. We need to grapple with these things that, you know, you would say, oh, it's politics, oh, it's, you know, manipulation, or it's people placing their people in there. I believe that we need to look with faith at the church. And there's a definite human element, God is still in control and he can impress hearts. And it doesn't mean that the hearts will yield necessarily, but we need to have the assurance and the conviction that God is seeking to lead his church into oneness, into unity. Otherwise, why would Jesus pray so adamantly for it if he was not ready to answer that, if he was not willing to answer our prayers for that kind of unity as well? I want to leave you one, with one last thought in regards to consensus. I mean, we, we've already looked at, you know, present-day prophet and scripture. Um, scripture doesn't rank very well either as far as the Christian's history or God's people's history. Um, we have, you know, Josiah, King Josiah, 
who begins a reform. And how does that reform begin? They're cleaning out the temple. He feels bad about the, the shape the church is in. And they find the Bible amongst the rubble. That's how important the Bible had become to Israel during that time, to God's people, to um, the priest. They didn't even know uh, what it was until they started reading it. They're like, oh, this looks like Torah. This looks like the scriptures. And they bring it to the king and he reads it and he recognizes what it is. And he tears his clothes apart. How could we have been so neglectful of God's word? There it is, forgotten, abandoned. No one even knew where it was. Sometimes we don't know where our Bibles are, right? We are not that different. And Daniel chapter 9, when Daniel prays for the sins and iniquities that ultimately caused um, a Jew Jerusalem to be taken captive into Babylon, they had a complete disregard to present-day prophets and the written prophets as well. I wanted, to, I wanted to leave with this one thought about consensus. Um, we, we struggle today with church authority. Today we struggle with the leadership model that we have as a Seventh-day Adventist church in which we have the general conference, we have divisions, we have unions, conferences, and then local churches. We struggle. We even have had people accuse us of you know mimicking the mark the beast. Present Revelation 13 you know, trying to exercise kingly power. Those words have just been tossed around carelessly through social media and, and other mediums as well. It is tragic. Um, but maybe it would be well, well worthwhile asking ourselves why. Things don't just happen in a vacuum. Why are we struggling with church authority so strongly, especially in the West, right? I think a little bit of history may, may provide some answers or partial answers at least, um, when the church first began, you can look at it in the book of Acts and of course the book of Revelation, there was a lot of weight of authority given to individuals that um, presented themselves as having the gift of prophecy. Prophets had a lot of authority and weight in what they said to the churches. And so the, the, the church listened. But here was the problem, right? How did you know that someone was a prophet from God? Because anyone could say, I have a message from the Lord. Uh, part of the early church's struggle or challenge was trying to uh, weed out the false uh, written gospels by false apostles, false prophets. And Jesus warned that many of them would come. So the church began to realize, you know, this is getting hairy. Anyone can claim to be a prophet and here we're trying to put out all these fires. These false prophets are starting to make declarations. They sound, you know, they borrow uh, some statements from here and there. And then they come up with their own twisted uh, versions of it and lead many people astray. So since prophets were assigned by God, the church, as it became more and more organized, um, it began to shift the weight of authority. And it shifted from the prophetic office to the apostolic bishop office why because it god would pick prophets god called people to pro become prophets but the church would affirm and confirm bishops and apostles but mostly bishops and so once that church began to realize hey we we get a lot more control quality control if you will when we begin to look uh, at selecting bishops, we really 
should stop putting so much emphasis on the prophetic gift and start exalting highlighting the importance of the bishop the local bishop and so the bishops began to became more dominant in the view of the authority of the church and of course it was natural progression that the consensus of bishops would be the, the source of consensus in the church and if you fast forward through history you begin to see the abuses of it there was no longer a prophetic voice to call out the sins of kings and priests because we had those again bishops um, the prophetic voices were not non-existent and should anyone had claimed to be a prophet they no longer were considered uh, legit or having any kind of voice of authority within the church now the authority lay exclusively in the bishop's voice and of course the consensus of the hierarchy of the church and then i'm going to fast forward again to 1798 if you're a good bible student if you know your prof your prophetic message you know exactly what 1798 stands for that's the year that a napoleon sent his general to rome and um, took the bishop captive the pope captive and uh, Berthier took him and put him in a tower and there he died and all the people estates were taken it didn't happen overnight people got not just suspicious but tired of the corruption tired of you know this monopoly of authority that the bishops had and that happened in europe in the west and then in 1798 you know that should ring a bell as far as you know 1776 not that far from when our country began to get birthed and it, it was birthed through people immigration immigrating from Europe with some of these sentiments and um, of course books began to get published already circulating and this idea I think has had a, as uh, effect on modern-day view of the church because uh, the fruits the seeds that were sown through the French Revolution and onward the Enlightenment uh, those seeds have borne a level of fruit in regards to church authority. I think in the West, our church is usually about a decade behind what other churches are experiencing. Um, the indifference and the irrelevancy of the church, church consensus, right? Church authority. And I, I think that part of this is uh, the flow of history. Where we are today is due to this shift um, and imbalance because God would use all of these three uh, in a symmetrical balanced way present-day prophet scripture and consensus of the leadership of the church and the churches at large today we find ourselves in this struggle of you know how much authority does the church have does the general conference have and of course we sometimes get discouraged sometimes we would see we would think that there is no involvement of God in the decisions that happen in a North American division, in the general conference, in the local union, etc. So that's why I think it's important and I think significant that Dr. Fortin wrote that the spirit work from within the church community almost imperceptibly. We at times may not be able to recognize the movements of God within our church, but we have to believe that Jesus loved, him, loved the church so much that he gave himself. He's not just going to abandon us. He's not just going to allow anything to happen irrespective of the consequences. I believe God will defend and protect His church. Though He honors freedom of choice, I believe His providence also works 
uh, so that all things work together for good. Um, that we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. These are passages that I claim on behalf of the church, on behalf of my local church and uh, global church, that God will honor these promises to bring unity and harmony in the midst of all of these differences and tensions. But let us, let us bring this lesson home, right? Um, how about you? Um, I'm speaking, of course, to my Seventh-day Adventist churches, both at Oakwood, at Monroe, and, and you who may be listening that belong to other churches. As a Seventh-day Adventist, I have a question for you. How do you relate to the spirit of prophecy, the present-day prophet that God has uh, gifted our church? Do you read these uh, books? Do you read Desire of Ages, Christ Object Lessons, Patriarchs and Prophets, Great Controversy, Testimonies to the Church? Do you read these books? Because this is what God will use to maintain and sustain unity. How about the scriptures? Do you believe in the authority and power of the Word of God? When we have disagreements and um, different, uh, differing points of views within the church, do you appeal to scripture? Do you seek to find guidance and orientation in the scriptures? And I'm not talking about merely theological, but financial reasons, financial decisions, um, dis disciplinary decisions. Do you go to the scriptures to find orientation, guidance? And as leaders, do we do that? And lastly, how do you feel about church leadership? How do you feel about the pastor? How do you feel about the church board? How do you feel about the conference, the conference leadership? How do you feel about the union and um, division, the North American division and general conference? All of these, I believe, are relevant questions for every Seventh-day Adventist today. And the appeal that I would make is, um, let us not follow the steps of Europe and the West uh, throughout history. And what I mean by that is, let us not despise prophesying. Do not despise prophecy, as Paul warns us, but embrace it. It is God's gift. And we have tests. You know, we, we, There are ways that we can test people's prophetic claims. And I am, personally, I am thankful for the, the gift that God has given us in the spirit of prophecy. It does provide uh, pertinent timely warnings, admonitions, and encouragement and hope for his church today. Same thing goes for the Bible. And you and I are invited to also trust that God is in control. We may not always agree with decisions, but brothers and sisters, if that is the case, then we need to pray for the leadership. If you are convinced that the, the, the church at large is going in a direction that it shouldn't go, you will not change it by being mean or disrespectful or unchristlike in social media you probably just will exacerbate the problem um, so this lesson leaves us with that question how do you relate to the spirit of prophecy how do you relate to scripture and how do you relate to church leadership when they make decisions that the church is supposed to follow in consensus I pray that you will discuss these questions in class and not just simply share your thoughts, but share your thoughts after you have looked at Spirit of Prophecy and after you look, looked at the scriptures. That, I believe, are the tools that God uses through the church, through the imperceptible influence of the Spirit. God will use the Spirit of Prophecy and the scriptures to inspire and guide the leadership so that then we will have biblical consensus.